You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Westside Church. My name is Ben Fleming. I'm the Generations Pastor here, and I'm bringing you part three of our series through the Beatitudes, and we're going to talk about peacemaking today, peacemaking. I hope you're enjoying the snow. Lord knows I have. I mocked the snowstorm a couple days ago, said this is not what I thought it would be, not even close, and then I fell down in it. Uh, so respect the stuff. You guys, I've fallen down four times this winter already. One was taking out the trash in Birkenstocks. That was a mistake. Um, and then the other one was this hidden, huge frozen puddle underneath the snow just a couple days ago. Fell whack straight on my back. So um, pray for me. Respect the snow and don't mock the storm. Uh, let's pray. Just kidding. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be. And I'm just going to go ahead and read all the Beatitudes up to where we're going to pick up today. Just to give you a little refresher, just in case you missed the last little while. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up in the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we thank you that your presence is with us, whether we're at home or we're in the building or watching on our own or listening in our car, your presence is with us, Jesus. We believe it. So we embrace that today, Lord. Show us your image. Show us your face and who you are today. In your great name, amen. It's an interesting thing talking about peacemaking. Uh, I like to Google whatever it is. Anytime I have a subject, a specific subject to preach, I like to Google that word and just see what comes up. What are people talking about? Has there been something recent? Is there a brand? Um, Google actually yielded this image to me of John Cena when I typed in peacemakers just the other day. Uh, and it's actually him as a superhero. It's a, there's a DC comic that is called The Peacemaker and John Cena is redo it. For those of you, John Cena, anybody? Uh, world Wrestling no, WWF, WCW, WWE. Uh, he's a big time wrestler and actually the image is nothing like anything like Jesus, right? You get a lot of guns um, after a little while. There's John Cena. Um, that looks like a peacemaker to me. I don't know about you. And uh, you get different images of, of guns and you get all these kinds of different things. There's an image of Jesus that was about uh, five pages deep inside of Google, which is a place that I don't usually go to. But it leads me to believe that maybe we don't all agree on exactly what peacemaking is, or at least it's not the first thought in our mind, something that we all agree on. Uh, I was reading a book to my daughter the other day. My kids have been saying incredible things. They're six and four. The vocabularies are expanding. They're making me laugh a lot more. But the other day, really over Christmas, my son said, Dad, I want to be a package deliverer guy. And I said, a package deliverer guy? Usually he's been like, I want to be middle linebacker for the Seahawks, or I want to play baseball, or I want to be a police officer. Uh, and he says, uh, I, I want to be a package deliverer guy now. And I said, well, okay, this is a change. This is different. Why do you want to be a package deliverer guy? He says, because when the people come and they give us the packages, we're so happy and I want to make people happy. And I was like, oh dear goodness, you be a package deliverer guy in Jesus name. And then he was like, and I'll live next to you guys and I'll deliver your packages last so that I can hang out and I can have coffee with you. My son, 
my, my daughter is the funny one. And we were reading this book uh, called Are You My Mother by P.D. Eastman. Any of you guys remember Are You My Mother? I read it when I was a little kid. And it's basically about this bird that is in this egg at the beginning of the book. And then the, the mother is like, oh my gosh, baby's about to come. I'm going to go get some food, bring it back so that he can eat right when he's born. Uh, the baby's born falls out of the nest, doesn't see mom, and wanders around to everything, a chicken, uh, to a dog, and it eventually comes to an excavator asking the same question all along the way, and the question is this, are you my mother? Ask the dog, and the dog goes, no, I'm not your mother. And we get to the excavator and, and ask the question again of my daughter, four-year-old, she goes, that's ridiculous. <laughs> and I'm like, you're right, out of control. How dare this bird? But because the bird hasn't seen the image of its mother, it's willing to ask anybody. And I wonder sometimes if because we don't come back to the really direct, straightforward image of who Jesus is sometimes, that we begin to ask other things and other people, other organizations or authorities in our life, are you my faith? Are you my Jesus? Are you the thing that I've been looking for? And the difference in our world compared to this book is that when this bird goes around and asks the dog if that's his mother, the dog doesn't say, yes, I am your mother. The difference is, is in this world, there are all kinds of people and organizations and people in authority and powerful folks, whatever, that are looking for an opportunity for you to come up and say, are you my faith? And even though it's not true, they would look at you and go, absolutely, I am. This way of thinking, this ideology, my image, this is absolutely the faith that you've been looking for. And they provide us maybe some level of temporary comfort or the ability to be seen. But eventually, because none of these things compare to the greatness and the glory of the image of Jesus, they let us down, they become fallible, they destroy us in the end. I want to encourage us, Westside Church, that as we talk about peacemaking today, come to the direct image of Jesus for your example. Let's not look to John Cena. Let's not look to the dog or to the excavator. Instead, let's look at exactly what Jesus would show us to do. Because just like Pastor Bo said in the first week, if this is a map making thing, a lot of people want to make maps for you. They want to take you in different directions. And there is a direction that is close to peacemaking that I feel like a lot of us, I'll say me, that I have the tendency to follow into this pattern of behavior. And it's not peacemaking. It's what we call peacekeeping. Peacekeeping values status quo. Peacekeepers like to keep people in their spots. Peacekeepers use language like, well, they made their decisions and they're just going to have to deal with it and handle it. Peacekeepers say that's their own fault. It's the sins of the father, right? And peacekeepers will walk past, look over folks. Peacekeepers value silence and quiet. But here's what Jesus did. Let's, let's look at the image of Jesus when it comes to peacemaking. Here's Jesus in conflict. So there's this incredible story where Jesus is teaching uh, a lot of the people around who just want to be heard in Luke chapter 4, verse 22. And it says this, all the people were speaking well of him and admiring the gracious words which were coming from his lips. And yet they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? This kid is amazing. Four verses later, after Jesus uses an illustration about a man named Naaman from what we call the Old Testament, where he says this prophet came and he healed Naaman, who was a Syrian. He wasn't a Jew or wasn't a Hebrew. Uh, he says this, all the people, in the, it says this, all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. They got up and they drove Jesus out of the city. Again, it's four verses later. And they brought him to the crest of the hill on which their city had been built so that they could throw him off the cliff. 
But this is what Jesus does in the middle of this conflict. He passed through their midst and he went on his way. What does this tell us about Jesus' peacemaking in the middle of conflict? It tells us that sometimes we can walk away. Did you know that you can scroll past things on Facebook in Jesus' name? Did you know that you don't have to engage into every single argument and discussion and conflict that might cross your path? Did you know that sometimes Jesus slipped through the crowd and instead of taking an opportunity to say, look, don't you know who I am? I'm not just Joseph's son. I'm the Messiah. And he does say that at different points, but he doesn't stand up while the mob is trying to throw him off the cliff and say, don't you understand what you're doing? Don't you understand who I am? Instead of engaging in that discussion, he simply slips past them. Here's another example of what Jesus does in conflict. It says, when those who were around him saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? This is when Jesus is being arrested before he's taken to the cross. This is one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus responded and said, stop, no more of this. And he touched the ear of a man who was about to arrest him and he healed him. And it says, when those around him saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? This is another version of it. And one of them stuck the, struck the slave of the high priest to cut off his right ear. Jesus responded, stop, no more of this. He touched his right ear and healed him. Jesus does this when he's about to be arrested and taken away, although he is the Messiah. And he heals this man. I wonder what kind of power would exist in a church that even at times when we feel like we're being treated unfairly or maybe even our rights are taken away, we possess the power that comes from our risen Savior and we begin to heal the very thing that would want to destroy us. Instead of swinging our sword or our fist like one of the disciples wants to do in the middle of this story, Jesus reaches out and he heals them. I wonder if we could be a people that heal in the midst of that conflict too. And here's another example of Jesus in conflict. It says, when they came to the place called the skull where they crucified him, the criminals on the right and the other, and, and the other on the left, but Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And they cast lots and dividing his garments among themselves. Jesus forgave them. Now, you guys, I believe that I'm probably a lot like any of you that are watching this stream or sitting in the room right now, where when conflict happens, my initial reaction is to prove to you why I don't deserve to be in this situation in the first place. Now, the tough thing about that is that we follow Jesus, a, a risen Savior who lived a perfect life, who spent his time healing and, and raising up the marginalized so that they might have an equal opportunity with everyone else to experience the faith that he was bringing, the gospel that he was teaching to the world. He lived a perfect life, and yet in all of these areas of conflict, he makes the decision to either walk away, to heal, or to forgive Maybe we could build a church and a movement upon these three things. That we're willing to walk away when necessary. We're willing to heal when God allows. And we're always willing to forgive because that is who Jesus has called us to be. So that's what Jesus does in direct conflict. What Jesus does in culture is, again, he, he heals the people that other people would determine untouchable. He raises up a gospel that is inclusive of the Gentiles and not just the Jews. And what this kind of healing and what this kind of teaching and what this kind of interacting with the world does is it up 
upheaves this world order that so many powerful people have done their best to continue to cultivate. And it says, look, it's not about the powerful and the non-powerful. It's not about the haves and the have-nots. Instead, I'm bringing something to you that has nothing to do with what side of the tracks you were born on, but it has everything to do with the greatness of the forgiveness and the blood and the grace of Jesus Christ. Peacekeeping, Jesus would have shown up and would have said, all right, everything's good here. You feeling good? Okay, you good? You staying where you're at? That's wonderful. You, know, you guys, sometimes I feel like I'm a peacekeeper in my home when I just want my kids to be quiet. Sometimes I feel like there's peacekeeping. Uh, when I was growing up, when my brother, he would slip out of, we shared this really long room, he would slip out of his bed and he would slowly creep over to my side of the room. He's nine years older than me, a lot bigger. And it would be quiet for a moment, but I would be horrified at what the results would be. And so it would be so super silent. He would give me just enough to know that he was gonna come and he was gonna hunt me down. And then I would hear Darth Vader style. Shouldn't have watched those VHS movies when I was six years old. And there was this silence, but it was only temporary because there was terror on the other end of that silence. Jesus didn't come to keep everything quiet. He did come to heal and to forgive and to raise up those who had been left behind. And that caused riots, that caused upheaval, but only from those who felt like they had something to lose because of the grace of Jesus. Look, you guys, what an effective church does, it doesn't create this space where nothing happens and there's no volume and there's, there's no change. Instead, it creates change so that everyone can have an opportunity to come and receive from the Lord. I'll, I'll show you this in this example. The one time that Jesus does get really upset, and I feel like I've quoted this, maybe you've quoted this too, as a reason sometimes for this really violent and visceral reaction that Christians can have in the face of conflict. But here's the story. It says, Jesus entered the temple, drove out those who were selling and buying on the temple grounds and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves and he said to them it is written my house will be called a house of prayer but you're making it a den of robbers and those who were blind and those who limped came to him in the temple area and he healed them but when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done and the children who were shouting in the temple area hosanna to the son of david they became indignant so this is one of our favorite stories, right? Now, see, Jesus, he fashioned a whip and he drove out those money changers. What Jesus was doing was he was rebuking this religious establishment that had created a way to keep some people out who had intended to come and to worship God. They did this by driving up the cost of the animals that they would be able to purchase upon their arrival at the temple, some coming for hundreds of miles around to worship they would drive up the cost of these animals so that these people couldn't make sacrifices so that it would keep only a certain class of worshiper involved and able to worship at the temple. Jesus gets mad, no doubt about it, but his rage flies against those that are a part of the religious establishment that would create a way to put up barriers between those who have and those who do not have. I wonder sometimes if our church could do more, if I myself could do more to make sure that we're creating a way for those who don't have or those who haven't seen or those who haven't heard instead of continually just trying to address those who have seen and have heard. 
Now, I love the, I love the church. I'm a big, 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 big fan of the church. I've dedicated my entire life to the church, some involuntarily by showing up at 7 a.m. to church with my dad, who's a pastor. I'm never going to get those hours of sleep back or those missed Sunday morning football games. I spent the last 13 years as a pastor myself trying to build and, and cultivate this beautiful thing that I understand and know as the church. And there is something to discipleship. There is something to this gathering, the worship songs that we sing. But I wonder if our language could be accessible. I wonder if our lives could be accessible to people that haven't heard or understood the clear gospel of Jesus Christ. I met this guy from uh, Lancaster, England a few nights ago. Uh, he was hanging out here in town and uh, he was sharing with me his life story because he was 25, 26, ended up in Ben, again, from Lancaster, England, which isn't the most normal thing that uh, you come across every day. I said, what are you doing here? And he said, well, I met this woman, an American woman, and uh, we decided to get married. I moved to San Diego to be with her, and we were together for a couple years, and it didn't work out, and then bam, divorce, and then now I'm just trying to figure out, I'm trying to find myself, I'm trying to see the world. And he had no idea who I am or where I come from. I had literally just come from a church gathering on Tuesday night here. And he starts talking about religion. And he starts going off about how when he grew up Catholic and then he became a Protestant and, and all of these things, uh, the, the anger and the rage that he had against the church. And I was just listening. And then he stopped and he almost looked above me. And he said, you know what I do miss? He said it much better. He said it with the accent. You know what I'm saying? You know what I do miss? That wasn't it. <laughs> he said, I miss the singing. And I was like, what? And you know what the guy sings? He sings, shout to the Lord to me at this table. He sings a couple lines in that incredible accent. I'm definitely not going to try that. And he was talking about these systems and these things, but he remembered these times where he had this moment in the presence of Jesus where it was so real to him. Where when he had said there was so much hierarchy and there was just power grabs in the churches and the environments that he had spent so much time in, there was something about the presence of God that showed up in these worshipful moments where he, as he described it, the energy of the crowd rose up as we sang together. Something happens in those moments. I wonder if it isn't the church's job to make sure that we're building these moments, not inside just these chairs and not inside just this building, but I wonder if there's a way that we can make Jesus relatable and understandable because how many of you know that he's not just the God of a church building. He's not just the God of one movement or one era that happened 50, 60, 100, 200 years ago. Instead, the living Savior exists among us today and his presence is readily available. And if we become peacemakers, we bring that presence into the lives of the people around us instead of peacekeepers that try to create barriers and reasons why those who want to participate and see Jesus cannot. But how does all this start? How does true peacemaking start? I believe that it starts with this. Uh, I believe that it starts with our own souls right here. Some of you under the sound of my voice, listening and watching online in a podcast in your car by yourself, you have been peacekeeping in your own soul for far too long. 
You see opportunities to create healing and forgiveness and to walk away from past things in your life. And instead of making peace, you decide to keep it because it's just easier to remain in the same image of the person that you've always been. I'm gonna give you a silly example, all right? And pardon me if you've heard this story before because I have a tendency to use it a lot. About three years after I got married um, and we had really lived, you know, we're, we don't exactly make like tons of money right now, you know what I'm saying? Um, but we had gotten out of college, I'll just put it that way, and we both had jobs. And I said, I'm gonna buy me some new clothes for the first time in Lord knows how long. All my clothes were athletic clothes that were given for free from whatever athletic department I was playing for at the time. So I had a lot of red Glendale stuff and I had a lot of blue OIT stuff. And we went to the Gap. Hello, somebody. And they were, they were colored pants were a big thing at the time. You could find mustard yellow, you could find green. And I have my sights set on these red jeans. Why? I do not know why. Can I wear them now? I have gained some weight. But I bought these jeans and they sat in my closet, I kid you not, for over a year. And it's so dumb, you guys, it's so silly, it's so ridiculous, but every time I would walk into that closet to go get those jeans, I would like, those jeans are unlike anything that I have ever worn before. And I don't think I'm up for a whole day of people going, whoa, new jeans, huh? <laughs> what happened, your, uh, you know, your white pants get in with the red shirts and then uh, I don't have white pants either, but. You know, and I just wasn't up for that. I didn't want people to look at me and go, okay, look, something's changed something's different. Oh, you're trying to make an effort. How many of you have ever been that person that's like, I want to lose some weight, but I don't want to see me, I don't want other people to see me running. I don't want them to see me at the gym. Oh, I want to learn about this. I want to take on this artistic endeavor. I want, to, I want to try this. But man, the people are going to look at me and they're going to see and there's going to be something. You guys, we create barriers between ourselves and the person that God wants us or is calling us to be all the time. So we're scared of people. We're scared that, that if we disconnect from the thing that we've always been, even if we don't like it, that we'll lose ourselves and we won't know what to do with ourselves next. I want to tell you this, church, as we draw closer and closer to all that Jesus is, it's going to require some change in our own hearts and our own souls. We're going to have to be honest about how Jesus handles peacemaking and conflict and some things in our lives that we believe for a long time, we're going to come to the understanding that this has been just peacekeeping and not peacemaking. Lord Jesus, we repent right now of peacekeeping in our own hearts and our own souls because it is translated at times to a church that is more interested in peacekeeping than peacemaking. So I want you to understand this as we close right now. I want you to understand this, that Westside is dedicated to being a church of peacemaking. And a lot of times for those of us who are comfortable, that creates conflict. Just like we read in that story about the temple that after Jesus drove out the money changers, all of a sudden the people who had been left behind, the lame, the blind, the beggars, they were able to gather around him and receive healing. And those who had gotten used to the routines and the structures that were in place were indignant. 
Lord Jesus, let us create peace in our own souls. Let us make peace in our own souls so that we might make it in our cities. Father God, we give you praise for this morning. Lord, we believe that you're here with us right now, Jesus. And I pray for the, the person that's hearing this message right now that is just saying, man, I've wanted to make the effort. I've wanted to go to therapy because I need it, but I've felt such shame in pursuing that endeavor. I've wanted to ask questions of my spouse or of my kids. I've, I've wanted to make this move or make this shift or this change because I believe that God is calling me to this. And, but man, that would just stir up too much. It would change too many things. It would ask too many questions. Lord Jesus, we repent of the fear that would allow us to continue to live a life that you are not calling us to live. Lord, we repent of ways that would allow us or encourage us to discard those who have been left behind, those who we would consider less than, Lord Jesus, and we embrace a life of mercy and forgiveness that you have shown us so that we might make peace and not just keep it. Lord, let it be Westside Church. Let it be our souls. Let it be our movement. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Hey, Westside, we love you so much. So excited that you were just here with us. And now a lot of you are gathering with your home churches. So we're going to put up some questions here in just a moment. Uh, just want to reiterate as we continue to walk through, uh, wait for it, check out this word, listen to this, unprecedented times. We're so grateful that we have each other. So thank you for joining us today. You are now free to roam about the cabin.